Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Okay, friends, we're going to try something tonight. And I, I'm quite sure it's going to work. There's John. I was like, oh no, where's John? Because it's not going to work if John's not here, but there he is. All right, so... Um, We're reading tonight Genesis chapter 1. We're beginning a new worship series for the season of Epiphany, which we're in right now. Epiphany means the dawning of a great light, a a, a new realization, um, an experience of God's power and presence. And so in this five-week season before we get to Lent, we'll be reading repeatedly, actually, from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 about the formation of everything that is. So tonight is our first attempt at that. And because of the way Genesis 1 is constructed, um, I'm hoping that it will be helpful to you as it has been to me to hear it in different voices so that we begin to understand the rhythm and the repetition of that chapter. And so we're going to be reading tonight, not just as leaders and responders in the congregation, but rather as four groups of readers and so the readings on the screen, is it, is it color-coded, Steph, or for groups? Oh, yeah, it's color-coded. So here's what we're going to do. Group one is going to be reading with, just raise your hand if you're uh, with Lauren. And Lauren, you're going to read, let's call group one, everybody from like Nicole forward on this side, on my right side. So y'all see Lydia Lance Ken, I'm, I, can, I can literally name you. Okay, and then group two, who's reading number two? Who's our group two leader? John is, is group two. And so, John, you're going to read from uh, Cyril and uh, David back to the back on that side. Got it? Back there, y'all are group two. Okay, and then who's reading group three? That's Chris is reading with group three. And so, Kelly to, let's say, to Greg and Nancy right there. Y'all are going to be group three. And then group four, you're reading with? Zoe, and you're going to be David and Lena all the way to the back, okay? If you're on Inside Out with us tonight, you just choose which group you want to be part of, okay? Or read all the parts. It'll be fine. And so uh, Zoe and John, if y'all want to come in and come around me, y'all are just going to be passing this mic back and forth up here, and you're going to want to step up so you'll be on the camera so people at home can see you too, okay? All right. And we'll begin um, our reading, this partial reading of Genesis 1 with a brief introduction. From Genesis 1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters 
and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together God called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God gave, sent them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 
So God created humans in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. Let's say you're a child in the 6th century BCE, raised in a little shack somewhere on the continent of Asia. You are one of an ever-changing number of siblings because babies are born on a more or less regular schedule in your house, but lots of little kids never grow up due to the harsh conditions of deprivation that is your daily life. You're hungry much of the time. You're cold much of the time. You're working all of the time. From the moment you can toddle through the fields and follow basic instructions for farm labor, you are working. Your parents and your grandparents work all day too, every day, but unlike you, they remember a time when they didn't have to. They tell you stories at night of a place called Israel, the same name as the people they say you all come from. In that magical place, every seven days, they tell you, wonder of wonders, everybody gets to rest. The mamas and the papas, the grammies and the pappies, the children and the babies, the slaves in the fields, even the mules and the oxen get to rest. Every seventh day, everyone is granted a whole entire cycle of the sun to let their muscles recover to enjoy the extra food they put away in the days before, to be quiet with their family, to say the prayers and sing the songs that bring joy and comfort to their hearts. <laughs> it sounds like a fairy tale to you, a make-believe story told to little children to entertain them while you're putting them to bed. And you're getting too big for that now. You puff out your chest. You declare to your parents and grandparents that you don't need that silly stuff anymore. You're big. But they are insistent, not only that the place was real, but that this is what God has always wanted for God's world. And they say, if you're too big for fairy tales now, well, then you're big enough to learn the true story of this world. And together they start to tell it, your elders, all of them pitching in, reciting the lines in rhythm as they rock and sway, davening a poem so lively, so lovely, it takes your breath away. In the beginning, they say, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was 
complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. It doesn't take you long to learn it, the whole thing, all six days, because you're smart and because you're hungry for more than your next meal. What you want more than anything else is some sense that things could be, can be any different than they are now. Some shred of potential for your life, your family, your people to break out of this cycle of enslavement and privation. Some glimmer of possibility that the nasty, greedy, mean SOBs who boss all of you around all day are not in fact the boss of capital E, everything. And here, from the lips of your elders, is a poem prayer, a reverent recital of the beginning of capital E, everything, that says just that. One way to think about the origin story of Genesis 1 is that it is a text of resistance to empire the Babylonian Empire in the first case, the regime that invaded what was left of Israel after the Assyrian Empire was done with them a couple centuries earlier. The Babylonian army invaded the final Judean stronghold of Jerusalem, which fell in 587 BCE and carted off the last of the ancient Israelites into captivity, exile, enslavement, all the worst consequences of losing your land, your sovereignty, your identity. It is important to know about the Hebrew Bible, the collection of books we sometimes call the Old Testament, that they were mostly assembled, that is, converted from multiple strands of oral tradition to a written text, while the Israelites were in distress suffering through the trauma of their enslavement in Babylon, raising children and grandchildren who had never known anything else. And so if we have ears to hear, we can detect in our ancestors' stories a subversive through line. From the very first words of Genesis, so named because it is itself, the beginning. The tradition insists that everything that is belongs to God, aka Yahweh, the I am who I am of Moses' burning bush. Everything that is came from God's imagination, was spoken into being by God's voice, was arranged and assessed and approved by God's own volition. Imagine how this would sound in the ears of the Babylonian conquerors 
who had spent immeasurable blood and treasure to conquer a few more tribal lands and peoples to expand their borders in every direction. World conquest is an expensive slog, or so I'm told. You're never done. You never reach a state of easy equilibrium. You have to keep striving and strategizing every damn day, lest you lose momentum and lose ground. You sacrifice your own sons to keep it going. It is an enslavement of its own, I suppose, this business of building and maintaining empire. But the Israelites, they tell a story of creation that is strife-free. There is no conflict, no struggle in Genesis 1. God does not break a sweat to bring the cosmos into being. God faces no resistance in God's creative sequence. God simply names what God wants to see, and it is so. Because God is God, and God is greater than any empire says our poem, Prayer. Moreover, says Genesis 1, when God takes a good look at what God has done, God is really happy with each day's work. This is lit, God says, about the warm shine of light that pierces the chaotic void. Oh, 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 I love that, God exclaims about the arrangement of continents and oceans. That's so based, God swoons about the plants and trees and all the ways they make more of themselves. Unfreaking believable, God sighs with pleasure, scanning the proliferation of trout and crickets and wolves and Labrador retrievers and cockapoes, nocturnal ground-dwelling parrots endemic to New Zealand. And when God gets to the end of the sixth day, to the creation of the people, the human family, the gorgeous rainbow of beings that bear God's image and are invested with God's own spirit, God can hardly contain God's self. Oh, myself, God says. Have you ever seen anything so amazing? This is good, y'all. This is better than good. This is very good. I mean, really, this is very, very good, if I do say so myself. And then knowing, as God does, that all great artists know to put down their brush when the creation is finished, God stops. Now, maybe... Even more than the insistence that everything that is belongs to God, that no world-conquering despot can claim ownership of land or people. Maybe this is the truly subversive message of Genesis 1, that everything that is is not only God's, but also good. Think about it. Domination of other people requires a narrative of the not-goodness of things. You might tell a story of people's inherent inferiority, that your power grab is for their own sake, to civilize them, to teach them, to help them. You might imagine yourself as a protector against 
others whose propensity to violence is far worse than your own benevolent policing. You might even convince the people you subjugate that they are better off for your strong hand, that they have no resources of their own, that they would be helpless without you. And after all, you deserve some compensation for your efforts. You are the good guy in a bad world, right? The narrative of empire, I'm saying, is not a story of the world's abundant goodness. The narrative of empire depends entirely on a narration of brokenness and scarcity, dysfunction and uneven distribution. It's very close to the narrative of capitalism, which requires a constant stream of dissatisfaction to make it go. A repeated mantra of each person's shortcomings and shortfall, such that our bellies growl for more money to get more stuff to fill the gaps we didn't know we had until marketing departments revealed them to us. Dissatisfied people who are obsessed with the not-so-goodness of the world make excellent consumers, and excellent consumers make excellent workers because we'll do anything to get more of what they tell us we should have. The liturgy of Genesis 1 says, in the voices of oppressed and impoverished people who didn't own a single clod of the dirt they were singing about, the whole world belongs to God, parentheses, not the empire, and the whole world is good, really good, very good, parentheses, despite all appearances to the contrary. It is not a song of nostalgia for the way things once were, once upon a time, but a song of hope for the way things will be again. When God gets everything God wants, the way God always has from the very beginning. So, you are not a child in the 6th century BCE, living on the other side of the world, enslaved to an oppressor who has stolen your land and your heritage. But I know you are already figuring out why the subversive resistance of Genesis 1 is important right now, right here, to us. It's partly because, as we often lament around here, capitalism has us by the short and curlies, and as hard as we try to make decisions that thwart its power, it's still got a hold on us. Not like enslavement exactly, but kin to that. A power that extracts from us more than it gives back, keeping us in its thrall, not in chains, because those rewards are weirdly delicious. But mostly tonight, I'd like for us to think about the radical rebellion of Genesis 1 insistence, nay, God's own insistence, that everything in the world God made is good, including human beings, including me, including you. Because for most of us, Sometime a while back, probably while you were a child, trying to figure out what kind of world this is and what kind of person you will be in it, what it has in store for someone like you, someone convinced you that you were 
not good, or at least not good enough. And that God kind of wrinkles God's nose at you, kind of puts up with you at best, and is pretty much just waiting for you to live down to your true nature as a miscreant so that God can either do away with you once and for all or forgive you once and for all, depending on how sorry you are for being the not good way you are. But Genesis 1 and the repeated refrain of God's unqualified, favorable assessment of all that God has made with its escalation to maximally good at the end of the project asks us to expand our imagination beyond the evidence at hand, the narrative of inherent and insurmountable brokenness fed to us by our churches and by capitalism, and often by the two of these working in chilling partnership with each other. Think about it. Sinners make excellent consumers and excellent workers, always trying to repair ourselves, always trying to earn the air we breathe. But our story of origins taught to children and grandchildren in the sweet darkness that signaled the day's end and the end of the day's labor insists repeatedly that there is no earning God's approval. There is only the fact of our existence, our being, that wins the heart of the one who can have anything that one wants. What God wants, we whisper as a poem of worship before we drift off to sleep. What God wants is us, just as God made us, just as we are. Oh, what a world. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.